Hi, welcome to Apostolic Voice. I'm your host, Ryan French. You know, backsliding doesn't happen overnight. It's a slow fade. Sometimes it's almost imperceptible. Carnality sets in, a little sin here, a little sin there, listening to the wrong voices here, listening to the wrong voices there. And as someone draws closer and closer to being full-blown publicly backslidden, they're easily offended. I've often said that a sure sign of carnality in a person's life is that they are easily and constantly offended. However, sometimes people have legitimate reasons to feel offended. Church people often hurt church people, and there's nothing friendly about friendly fire, even when it's an accident. It still hurts, and it's still destructive. The church is a family, and just like all real families, nothing has the potential to really hurt us like a family member. But church hurt is not an excuse for backsliding, and that's what we're talking about today. We'll be right back in just a minute. Church Hurt Does Not Excuse Backsliding. That's the title of the original article at RyanAFrench.com. It's featured right now, so you can go look at that if you'd like to and follow along. I should begin by expressing my sympathy to victims of genuine church hurt. It's easy for me to empathize because I too have been hurt by church people. I've seen heroes up close only to find they were much less heroic than expected. I've watched in shock as brothers and sisters in the Lord acted more like devilish pawns in a cosmic game of chess. I've often felt lonely trying to do the right thing. Doing the right thing commonly goes unappreciated, or at least underappreciated, and the unfairness of that can produce toxic levels of bitterness. Regardless, not one of the things mentioned above even slightly impacts my relationship with God or my commitment to righteousness. Still, Church hurt seems to be the excuse of choice for backsliders, backstabbers, backbiters, and rabid bitterness these days. However, any excuse leading to self-justification rather than godly justification is spiritual suicide. I want to be clear without being melodramatic or overdramatic. When I say that I've experienced church hurt, I don't just mean that someone forgot to shake my hand or someone didn't slap me on the back or they looked at me wrong. No, I've experienced things that impacted my life in ways that were literally, literally to the point where I didn't know if I was going to be able to function after that happened. Spiritually, physically, financially, I've experienced all of those things, but none of those things keep me from wanting to have a right relationship with God. One of the great dangers Christians face is the temptation to justify their bad behavior because of someone else's sin. Just because they're drinking poison doesn't mean I should drink poison too. Just because someone else is evil doesn't excuse my favorite flavor of sin. Whether you've been hurt, let down, disappointed, disillusioned, or downright persecuted, your duty to God never changes. Jesus warned us that outright persecution and disdain would be something his followers should expect to face. If Jesus had a Judas, why wouldn't you? 
It wasn't Pilate the pagan who wanted Jesus dead. It was the high priest Caiaphas who plotted his crucifixion. Truly, Jesus faced far more hurt from his own inner circle and his closest friends than from the pagan world. Why would it be any different for us today? Your sin doesn't make my sin okay, and my sin doesn't make your sin okay. The reality of church hurt is this. Church hurt is genuine. It's real, and it should be prevented whenever possible. Please don't take this as as any kind of justification or excusing of church hurt. I think that we should take it seriously. I think we should do everything we can to heal it and stop it and nip it in the bud if we can. But in reality, if you live for God long enough, a wolf in sheep's clothing is going to take a bite out of you. But I'd rather suffer persecution and be right with God than gain the whole world and lose my soul. Honestly, the logic of leaving church altogether because someone hurt me is flawed. Do we quit a great job because of one lousy coworker? Do we abandon our dream home because of one bad neighbor? Do we stop being Americans because of bad Americans? Do we stop going to our favorite coffee shop because of one bad barista? If we left every place or institution that hurt us, at some point, we wouldn't be able to go anywhere, especially and including our own homes. If we dig right down to the nitty-gritty, many people use church hurt as an excuse to do what they already wanted to do in their hearts, backslide. Much of what some people call church hurt is really just an easily offended spirit. Correction is not church hurt. Disagreement is not church hurt. Oversight is not church hurt. Having your talents overlooked is not church hurt. Someone frowning at you or me is not church hurt. Strong preaching or convicting preaching isn't church hurt. Snowflake Christians are melting and calling the sun evil. Ironically, they usually hurt people while pointing to their hurt as justification for their bad behavior. It's a smokescreen shielding their own carnality and spiritual immaturity. Again, I want to clarify, church hurt is real, but everything we're calling hurt is not real, genuine hurt. Again, it it grieves me truly grieves me to hear about Christians hurting Christians. We should be known by our love for one another. You know, we can speak with the tongues of men and angels. We can prophesy. But if we don't have charity, if we don't have love, everything else we say and do is just tinkling brass. There's nothing friendly about friendly fire. And and yes, there are legitimate reasons to leave a church. If a church is, is abandoning truth, if a church has a backslidden leader, if a church is is not holding the line, biblically speaking, yes, there are legitimate reasons to leave. If, if the leadership of the church is toxic and ungodly, yes, those are legitimate reasons to leave. There are times you have to expose a well-disguised wolf in sheep's clothing. Sometimes you have to find a safer spiritual environment. But abandoning truth because of hurt makes absolutely no sense at all. It's like jumping off a bridge because someone pushed you to the ground or cutting off your foot because someone stepped on your toes. The real problem here is relationship, not relationships between brothers and sisters in the Lord. The problem is a real relationship with God. You see, 
Our relationship with God isn't predicated on how others behave. I serve the Lord because he's my Savior. Whatever others decide to do doesn't change what Jesus has already done for me. God's word doesn't change because someone else failed God. God hasn't failed me because a human failed me. Sometimes we serve God with the help of others, and sometimes we serve God despite others. Either way, God is still good. He's always good. And so let me encourage you to stay near the cross. The psalmist spoke to this very issue when he said, Great peace have those who love thy law. Nothing can make them stumble. That's Psalm 119, 165. Deeply loving the Lord and his word will keep you from stumbling, mumbling, and bumbling when other people let you down. Church hurt doesn't excuse backsliding. Jesus didn't call angels to take him off the cross. Why? Because he loves us. No matter how difficult to endure, our crosses should never cause us to abandon our Savior who suffered for us. Whatever it is you're suffering through, whatever it is you might be going through, first, ask yourself this question. Am I being easily offended? Am I offended because of carnality in my spirit? Or do I have a right to be offended? If you have a right to be offended, find a way to biblically work it out. If you have to find a safer spiritual place and you have a biblical right to do so, then do that. But don't abandon truth. Don't abandon righteousness. Don't abandon the Word of God. Don't abandon your relationship with God because of what a human being may have done or said to you. I know commercial breaks are frustrating, but I do want to pause and let you know you can financially support this apostolic Pentecostal programming by giving as little as 99 cents a month. You can give $4.99 a month or even as much as $9.99 per month by going to www.anchor.fm forward slash apostolic voice forward slash support. Also, please consider giving this podcast five stars and a quick review on iTunes. It really helps us out in the search engines people use to find podcasts when you give us a like and a review. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you for your support. God bless. After talking about church hurt, genuine church hurt, and perhaps illegitimate church hurt, and recognizing it's not an excuse for backsliding, I think it's appropriate for us to to look at the question of forgiveness. Someone wrote this question to me some time back, and I'm going to read it to you. They said this, How do you know when you've completely forgiven someone? Something triggered a memory of that person and what they did to me, and I felt angry. I always have to ask God to forgive me when this happens. I feel as though my definition of forgiveness is the wrong definition. Is forgiving someone being able to remember what they did and not feel that surge of anger? Or is it not caring about it anymore? 
I've always felt conflicted within myself about this. That's a great question. And it's a question that I've I've had asked me over and over again in different ways. First, I think we need to look at the biblical definition of forgiveness. And biblically speaking, there are two kinds of forgiveness in the Bible. In the first, God forgives or pardons us of our sins and our offenses towards him. And the second is our obligation to forgive, pardon, or to allow others to be redeemed for their offenses against us. As Christians, our relationship with God is restored because of his willingness to forgive us. Remember, we were all born with with a guilty verdict over our lives. The hospital room that heard our, our newborn cries and wrapped us in warm blankets didn't see the fate that we were destined for. The birth certificate didn't read guilty offender, and our parents didn't see our horrific crime. But, but make no mistake about it, we were born in a metaphorical courtroom where our verdict was sinner and guilty. And because of the work of Calvary and the blood of Jesus, we find forgiveness, and we gladly accept that forgiveness for ourselves. Accepting forgiveness, whether from God or from another person, is easy, but of course we understand giving forgiveness can be tricky. But Jesus really could not have been any clearer about our obligation to forgive others. He said this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The act of forgiving doesn't come easy. Our natural instinct is to recoil in self-protection when we've been hurt. We don't naturally overflow with mercy, grace, and understanding, especially when we've been wronged, especially, especially when we've been severely wrong. So this is a burning question. Is forgiveness a conscious choice or an emotional state? Is forgiveness an emotion or is it a decision? And I believe that forgiveness is a choice we make through a decision of our will, and it's motivated by obedience to God and His command to us to forgive others. So how do we forgive when we don't feel like it? How do we translate the decision to forgive into a change of heart? Let me give you the answer. We forgive by faith out of obedience. Since forgiveness goes against our carnal human nature, we forgive by faith whether we feel like it or not. We trust God to do the work in us that needs to be done so that forgiveness will be complete. I believe God honors our commitment to obey Him and our desire to please Him when we choose to forgive. He completes the work in His time. We must continue to forgive. Sometimes that's, sometimes that's a daily work. It's our job. We forgive by faith until the work of forgiveness, and that's the Lord's job, is done in our hearts. Look at Philippians 1.6. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, we know what forgiveness is, but I want to quickly give you 10 things that forgiveness is not. Number one, forgiveness is not approving of or diminishing sin. It's not saying, well, it's okay, nobody's perfect, everybody makes a mistake, or it's not, it's not a big deal, worse things have happened. No, it, it's a big deal. It's so big that God died for it. 
So don't dishonor the cross of Jesus and the blood of Jesus by approving of or diminishing sin, something that required the death of God. Number two, forgiveness is not enabling sin. Forgiveness doesn't say, well, uh, I'm going to help you continue to sin. Uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to help an al- alcoholic obtain alcohol. I'm not going to I'm not going to help a drug addict obtain drugs. Number 2, forgiveness is not enabling sin. Forgiveness doesn't say I'm going to I'm going to help an alcoholic continue to be an alcoholic. I'm not going to help a drug addict continue to be a drug addict. Forgiveness doesn't say I'm going to allow an abuser to remain abusive. Forgiveness doesn't mean you become a doormat. Number three, forgiveness is not denying a wrongdoing. Uh, Some people will approach forgiveness with the mindset of it didn't happen. I forgot all about it. I just moved on. Or one person told me, I I just pretend like it never happened. I I didn't let it affect me. And it's not true because it clearly was affecting them. It's not the denial of of a wrongdoing. That's not real forgiveness. Forgiveness is not denying that you were sinned against. God doesn't pretend like we were never sinners. God just forgives us in spite of the fact that we were sinners. Number four, forgiveness is not waiting for an apology. This one is very important. Uh, many people many people forgive and then they, uh, they expect an apology to be to be offered to them right away. The sad reality is this, some people will never acknowledge their wrongdoing. Some people will never ask forgiveness. Some people will will never offer the appropriate apology, but we forgive in spite of their lack of repentance. We forgive in spite of their lack of repentance because forgiveness is for our own sake. It's not for that individual. When I forgive, I'm forgiving so that I can be right vertically with God, and I've done everything that I can do horizontally between me and man. That's what forgiveness is for us. If they never apologize, we still forgive. Number five, forgiveness is not forgetting. This one is so important because many people wrestle in their spirit with with the worry that they have not forgiven properly because they can't forget what happened to them. Now, if you're obsessing over it, and if it's all you can think of, then you have to find a way to give that to God in prayer. But simply remembering and and feeling that flash of pain or hurt once in a while, that is not a lack of forgiveness on your part. We are not God. We're not able. We're not able to take our our memories and cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. We're not able to to cast it away from us as far as the east is from the west. God can do that in his omnipotence, but we can't. We're going to remember, and sometimes we're going to feel the sting of pain, and we might even feel that slight surge of anger well up inside of us. That doesn't mean we haven't forgiven. It just means we're human. And when we feel that, that's a call to prayer. It's an urge to get on our knees and touch the hem of the Lord's garment. Number six, forgiveness is not ceasing to feel the pain. We don't hear in the Bible that all the tears are wiped from our eyes until the resurrection of the dead and the final unveiling of the kingdom. In other words, until the trumpet sounds, until we're raptured, until we're with the Lord in heaven for eternity, we're going to feel pain. We're going to cry and feel hurt all the way 
until the trumpet sounds. If it still hurts, it's okay. If it still hurts, it doesn't mean that you're a lesser Christian. It just means you're human and you're waiting for that great day when we're with the Lord. Number eight, forgiveness is not neglecting justice. Forgiveness is not neglecting justice. Uh, it, it's not It's not a lack of forgiveness if someone murders a family member for you to say, I'm seeking uh, justice on behalf of my loved one. Uh, justice still needs to be served in this world when and where possible. And forgiveness doesn't negate the need for justice. Number nine, forgiveness is not necessarily offering trust to the offending person. This is very important. I hear this all the time. Someone molested me. They said they're sorry. Can I still be around them? The answer is no. I had one person ask me one time and said, uh, you know, my dad molested me when I was a kid. He said he's sorry. Can he babysit my kids? And I say the answer is no. Someone said to me one time, my boyfriend, or in one case, they said my husband hit me. And he's done it many times, but he's sorry. Um, what what should I do? What How should I approach that? The, the answer is you don't have to trust just because you've forgiven. Forgiveness is not throwing away your ability to think clearly and to use logic. If you see a situation that's dangerous, even though you may have personally forgiven them, it does not mean that you have a duty to trust that person and to be unwise around that person. Number 10, forgiveness is not reconciliation. It takes one person to repent. It takes one person to forgive, but it takes two people to reconcile. That's why Paul says, and as much as it is possible with you, seek to live at peace with all men. Here's what he's saying. Do your best, but you can't be at peace with everyone. But if it doesn't work out, Make sure it's their fault and not yours. It takes two people to reconcile. You can do the forgiving. You can do your best to make it right. But if they won't reconcile, if they won't be reconciled to you, just make sure you've done all that you can. Make a decision to forgive others. Luke 17, 3 through 4, Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Do we really believe this commandment from the Lord Jesus? I think it's hard for us to take it. But the reality is this. We must offer forgiveness when it's sought. Number two. Don't seek revenge or repay evil for evil. Let God handle it. 1 Peter 3.9, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. Don't try to repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That's what God's called you to do and he will bless you for it. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And by the way, God is much better at keeping records than we are. God is much better at obtaining justice than we are. He'll take care of it at his time. We just have to keep our spirits right. That's my prayer for you. You know, 
I hate to even bring up COVID, but COVID has done so much for so many of us and messed our minds up and caused us to think things and see things that aren't even really true. Some of us are just going stark raving mad from quarantines and mask wearing and all of these things. Let's be very careful that we don't allow our spirit as we're stepping back into a new normal or a sense of normality. Let's not let our spirits be an easily offended spirit. And let's also not let our spirits be an unforgiving, vengeful spirit. We need the Spirit of God to help us recover and move forward. God bless you. I love you all in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. 